Welcome back to Calvary's podcast, Calvary Life. Uh, we are glad to be back again. I'm Charles Uptain. I'm Paul Thompson. And today we are uh, going to uh, talk about a subject about uh, church, as in uh, what is church is a big, big question, I guess, and so to speak, and and uh, just a conversation that Paul and I have been having and have had over, over some things uh, last weeks or so, especially as we've been in the sanctuary, as we know, uh, and now we're back in the fellowship for a little time, and so... Uh, just what does worship look like and, and how we do it. So, uh, Paul, uh, start us off by giving us some comments. You know, we read a book uh, together a couple of years ago that was really challenging. It's not mainstream, and I really wish it was in the hands of more church leaders, more pastors, more elders, more staff, but also just church members to get a sense of this because I think it it really flies in the face of the way most people consciously or subconsciously think about church. And the title of the book is One Assembly, Rethinking the Multi-Site and Multi-Service Church Models, and it's by Jonathan Lehman. But it really got us thinking about our future and how we plan for the future. And so, you know, like you're talking about, we've been, we were for several weeks at the end of the summer in, in our sanctuary, which has a considerably smaller seating capacity than our fellowship center, which we've been using for worship for several years. And we were in there, one, because we had to be big yeah. lightning strike. And so we didn't have uh, control over lighting and some components and just trying to get the building back up to where we could use it again. And we were also in it because we could be only in that limited window of time, that last little spurt of summer and vacation and stuff when people are, are traveling and we can fit everybody in, but we were packed you know, and yeah. we, we, we were packed in there. We were bringing in extra chairs and and having the choir stay in the choir loft on, on one of the Sundays and things like that. So it wasn't optimal, but it started to beg the question, what does this look like for us going forward? And do we want to be in the fellowship center or do we want to be in the sanctuary? Or do we want to revert back to previous models that Calvary's employed? So way back in the past, before my time, there was a time where we were doing as many as three services back to back to back in right. the sanctuary. And then we moved to two services, one in Sanctuary, one in Fellowship Center, with two different styles, yeah. one more traditional, one more modern. I don't really like to use those kind of terms because they, they don't hold much weight anymore, but you know, traditional contemporary kind of um, split. But we learned some lessons from those just on a practical level. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, you know, and that's kind of what I heard. You know, even in these last few weeks, I've heard some people ask, well, why couldn't we just stay in the sanctuary and add a service, you know, because um, we like it in the sanctuary or we can, you know, worship is, you can you can hear everybody singing in there. It's just something we hear about the sanctuary. And people, of course, love our sanctuary. I've heard so many people say, man, this is a beautiful place to worship. And and, and so we get that. Um, but is that, you know, what what is what is the driving force? And I guess the elders have kind of answered that. Um, what has been our answer from the elders when it comes to worship uh, on Sunday morning? Yeah, let me back up a little bit on that. I mean, we would say we we concur, we like it. We know, though, that there are some trade-offs. I mean, yeah. let me hit those just for a second. That's not the primary purpose of what we want to talk about today, but we know there's some trade-offs in the building. It's nice in the Fellowship Center because we've got lots of space, right. and we've got space for people to, to get up, move around, greet one another. We've got some good technology in there. We have an enviable screen, I think. That's not the end-all, be-all, but it, it is a good communication tool. Um, we've got good good space out in the foyer area. Sanctuary is built during a different era, and there's not much move-around space. There's not much foyer uh, space. Yeah. Bathrooms are really small, and you know, we create some lines out there, that sort of thing. It was not created in an era where people were giving much consideration to social space and, right. and, and welcoming space, that sort of thing. However, as you mentioned, acoustics are great in there, mm -hmm. and you can hear well. People, can, people sing out, and you hear each other singing. 
for speaking purposes, it's great. And aesthetically, it's just it's more pleasing. And as we talked about a little bit today in staff meeting, maybe psychologically, maybe even subconsciously, people approach the rooms differently. Not everybody, but people approach one room more like a sanctuary. They right. come in, and when the service begins and music starts, they kind of lock in. We find in a fellowship center sometimes, I think, because it's so large or people in the far corners, maybe they think they're so disconnected from the stage or from other people that we can't hear that they're having full-on conversations about the ball game Saturday or lunch uh, Sunday afternoon or whatever it may be. You know, people seem to treat the spaces differently. That being said, we, we understand that. We, we recognize that. And that's one of the reasons, Charles, I don't know if I'm letting cat out of the bag. We are doing a, a seating study in the sanctuary coming up. We're really trying to evaluate what is the what is the long-term potential here in terms of max seating right. know, without spending tons and tons of money and knocking down walls and things? Are there, are there some things we can do that can increase seating in there? So at least we know what our options are. But back to your question, what the elders have decided over a period of time is in this sort of triaging these values or a hierarchy of values here that our highest value would be we want to be in one service. Yeah, and I think that, let me stop you there, I think that came from just the the feel of, uh, in fact, we went there when we started the Ephesian study because we really felt like we wanted some unity in the body. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And that was kind of the point of that was let's let's all get together, worship together, and and I think that's been so healthy for the church. But I think it still even that time came from a pragmatic, what's best for yeah, us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great point. So back then we're doing Ephesians, and because so much of Ephesians is about the church, just pragmatically speaking, just experientially, we said, wouldn't it be better if the things we say about the church and hear about the church, we all heard together yeah, as a church? Exactly. And so, yeah, this will, this is better for now. And then we we did it for a season, and we liked it, and we stayed. But even then, Charles, like to your point, it still was kind of, it was pragmatic and preferential. Yeah. We like it better this way. We get that you like being in the sanctuary, but we like it better. But we've really... I mean, God, I think, has moved our thinking on this, and the more we've read and studied and considered, we've moved beyond the pragmatic. Like, I look back even when we were in two services. We, these are the kind of conversations we'd have evaluating. One service would go very differently than the other. Mm-hmm. Even if the content was pretty much the same, God would move differently among the people in those rooms. People respond differently to a sermon in those rooms. Um, one might have more energy or enthusiasm. One might have... It just... It's different, and what you begin to realize just experientially is these are two different groups of people. They're two functional congregations. Right. And some of the feedback we would get from people sometimes once we moved into one service was it's so good seeing people. I hadn't seen them in forever. I didn't know they still went to church here, Yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that was just blind the fact, yeah, we were, we were two different congregations. You might end up at the same restaurant and see one family coming out as you're coming in, and they've gone to their earlier service, and you say, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. Where are you going to church? Oh, I go to Calvary. Really? Oh, I go to the early service. What they're really saying is I'm in that early congregation. Yeah. And, you know, again, it, it was pragmatism that drove us to that. Um, good intentions. You know, we look back and say um, it makes good financial sense. It's good stewardship to just use what we have twice. Um, it's, it's no struggle for me, beyond just losing my voice a little bit, to give the same sermon twice. In fact, sometimes it was better in the second. I could edit out parts that flopped or uh, a joke or illustration that didn't go over or I just get some clarity in my thinking or put it together. Sometimes it was worse because I'd just be tired or I'd add more stuff to it, to an already long message. 
Um, but we already had the team. I mean, it was a little bit tiring for people sometimes asking the worship team to do it twice or, you know, that sort of thing. But it, it seemed to make pragmatic sense. But when we really began to dig into the issue of what is a church and do these questions matter biblically, do they go beyond just preference? Is this just wide open? We can do whatever we want. The Bible doesn't speak to it. Or does the Bible, in fact, speak to it? And so, you know, for you who are listening, assuming most of your Calvary folks, but not all of you will be, we came to a conviction that the Bible really does speak to it and that the church is, biblically speaking, an assembly. Wherever you see the word church in your New Testament, those words are translated from the same ecclesia, and it's a term Jesus used, it's a term we see throughout the New Testament, and it is a gathering of people. It's a gathering of people in a certain place. It's a geographical statement. It's, um, it's a political statement in the sense that the gathering actually implies the authority of the, of the gathered church. And we begin to think that has some real, real implications that matter. Um, and God did have a plan for, for the early church and where its authority would lie and how it would, it would function one um, how it would function for its optimal health, and how it would accomplish the mission that God has for it. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting. One thing that Lehman says in that book is he, he points to that word and how the first, the first century uh, reader would have seen that word, and it would just be as assembly. And we come with it with so much baggage because we have church. I mean, we, we say church for all kinds of things. We talk about a building as a church. We talk about a people as a church. We talk about how church went, all those kind of things. Church, church, church. And, and for us, it has all kinds of different meanings. Yeah, so broad, so ambiguous. You know, he makes a good, great point that everybody has some sort of preconceived notion or intuition about what church is or what church means. And this will challenge some of your some of your preconceived ideas. So if you think of church fundamentally as a building, then you think about where is my church located? I went to the church this morning to pick up something, or I'm so frustrated that the church is selling its property and the church is moving, that sort of thing. If you think of the church primarily as a program or an event, then you think of it really in terms of production or or show. You know, you might go home saying, man, wasn't church great today? Uh, Man, I really love church today, or the spirit was really moving at church today, which most of the time, and I don't mean this cynically, most of the time that means something hit you emotionally or you felt good about or you liked the songs or the tempo or the pace or the enthusiasm or energy that the preacher had in that moment. But if we think of the church primarily as the people of God gathered, then we have to start thinking differently. Um, The church is not so much about what the program was like today or what the building is like. It's, I came together with my church, my people, we gathered together, and according to Jesus' promise in Matthew 18, 20, the very definition of church, when these, when two or more of you are gathered in my name, I'm there with you, my presence is there with you, and that presence doesn't mean God, you know, Jesus just shows up when the second person gets there. He's talking about, if you read the whole context of Matthew 18, he's talking about what constitutes the authority of God's people gathered. What's a, what's a gathering look like? What does it entail? What how do they represent him on this earth? How do we represent the kingdom of heaven on this earth? We represent him when we gather as a people. When Christ's body gathers, it's the church. And so, obviously, what we do and who we are is more than a gathering, but it's never less than that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we push back against 
the idea of online gathering. Um, and then we went through that rough period, which, uh, which we don't intend to ever repeat, of not gathering for a season. And that gave way in a lot of places, and there's so many articles written, even books written about, you know, it's ushering in the new era of church, and, and now church is going to be like a commodity. We're in the internet age, we're in the information age, we're in the podcast age, and so church is um, a commodity that you can just access in whatever way suits you best. And we said, no, that's, that's fundamentally not what a church is. You, you can't be part of the ecclesia, the assembly, and not assemble. You can't be part of the family and not be at the family gathering. You, you can't be part of this body and be dismembered from it, located somewhere else. So we don't recognize an, an online member or an online community. Yeah, you know, we have some sick folks sometimes or homebound folks sometimes or some traveling folks sometimes that'll watch the service online, watch the gathered service online. But, you know, that's just a crutch for a difficult time. I, I couldn't be there. It's not optimal. Lehman's illustration would be something like someone breaking a leg and walking on a crutch. I mean, ideally, my leg's going to heal, and I'm not going to walk on a crutch indefinitely. Well, you know, we offer that for those periods, but it's not a substitute. I don't want to forever be on a crutch. Yeah. I want to get back to what's normal and natural. Yeah, so, you know, when we – and we made that decision. You know, at one point we were broadcasting uh, live, and it was it was meant to be those who could watch it outside the church, as in anybody could pick it up on, online. And, you know, we've gone away from that as it being live. And now we just put the sermon out there weekly so we have those available. But the service itself is is held so that those who need it can get it, like you're talking about, that are sick. But we want to project to our membership and to others who would be looking for a church that really our church is the one that gathers together at 10 o'clock at 901 Montezuma. That's our normal. That's the church. I tell you something that I heard them say on one of the Pastors Talk podcasts, and I know Lehman writes a little bit about in this book that really challenged me, was this very rudimentary understanding of church. So at the core, when you think of the church, and I'm asking you really this question, it's not rhetorical for any of the listeners, when you think of church, do you fundamentally think of the church as the people up front or the people gathered? Because if you think of it as the people up front, that's the guy preaching the sermons, and you get to decide if you like your church based on his abilities or skills or speaking to your needs or whatever, or the guy leading the music or singing, and do I like these songs, do I like this style, do I like this pace, um, or the people there. That's a very different notion of church than saying the church is all of us gathered together, functioning as a body of Christ, sharing the ordinances together. We're welcoming in people into our fellowship through baptism, we're taking someone um, you know, who was outside and making him part of the many of us, so one becomes many, and we're sharing in the life of the fellowship through Lord's Supper, whereby the many of us recognize that we are one in Christ. We're exercising loving and necessary church discipline at times for those who reject the teachings of Christ and the expectations of a follower of Christ. We're encouraging and admonishing one another. We're praying together. We're studying the Word together, we're growing together, we're being discipled together, we're being sent out on a mission together. If you think of the church in those terms as who we are, then you realize um, that's a very different picture of church. But now if it's just the people up front, then it really wouldn't matter how many times we gather. We could do five services a day, ten services a day, because it's just, just another opportunity for people to see the people up front. But, you know, you've heard me say this. I'm sure this is getting uh, redundant now for some of our church 
folks, is the church is not designed by God to be a purveyor of religious goods and services. We are people of God, loving one another, caring for one another, ministering together to one another, and your gathering is is part of that. Yeah. And, you know, one thing with that, you know, I, we've had conversations in the past, even when small groups of talking about um, those who think that the church should do this, the church should do that, and who is the church that should be doing that. You know, we've had those conversations, and I think even some of this discussion really points to that, because if if we're putting forth the idea that that church is the people up front, it's the it's the staff, it's those kind of things that are making decisions, uh, even the elders, then then we can sit back and expect the church to do things versus really what I see the Christian life in the, in the church to be is a participation of all of us together, doing it together. That's a totally different way to look at my partnership with you and the partnership with the other member, that we are one body, all of us doing that work together. So in that, you see how structure actually does teach people things whether we want them to or not. Like we talked about this so often, man, how do we, how do we break the consumer mentality of some of our folks that just, you know, they, they just see themselves as a shareholder or someone who bought a ticket to a program or like you're talking about, why doesn't the church do this when you're the church? Right. You're talking about somebody else then. You're talking about the people you hired, the people that stand up in front, the people you think make all the decisions, that sort of thing. And we complain about that and this consumeristic mentality. And then we realize we have unintentionally, structured for that yeah. when we say, what's the most convenient time for you to come to church? Because we're offering you a service at 8, 9, 15, and 11. And now we're offering Saturday nights. Or if you can't make those, we have our online community. You can join the online church and you can do this. Or you can download and watch it. Your What are we saying to them? We're yeah. saying it's it's a product. Consume it as, as best suits you. And, you know, back to your point, Charles, that's why I think there's a difference between I like us putting the message out there because I think the message has value because the scriptures have value for anyone who hears. Plus, we recognize the age in which we live. People want to know what sort of church you are, or what sort of teaching you do before they just show up. I, I get that. I wouldn't want to just roll the dice on that either. I want to hear a little bit. So that does send a message out there to people. This is who we are. This is what we teach. But also, it's because we believe that the teaching of the Word is public. Yeah. I, I believe what I say in the pulpit is as public as if I were saying it in the center of town, um, and people can hear it, respond to it, react to it, engage to it, so it's out there publicly. But that message is not just the service. Right. It's us gathered, you know, as a people. Yeah, and so, you know, that worship time together, that gathering of the church, has a lot more about uh, who we are as people, as the church together, than it does for us to just sit and, and watch or listen or even be a part of a service in that way. It really, there's, there's a part of being the body in that, that we're doing that together. And, and here's how it, it, it kind of has some real implications here. This is um, helpful for people in Calvary as you think through some of this uh, situation that we're in right now. So if you've been here during September, end of August, and you're in the sanctuary with us, you, you know what it was like to be really full. And our August attendance is never quite what our September and October attendance is. So we know as fall comes, attendance grows. Right. Typically, end of summer, it slumps a little. In the fall, it grows and, and begins peaking towards the end of the year. And so we know fundamentally, practically, we can't all fit in there. Right. Plus, even if we could, these are the sort of conversations we've known from church health and life and growth over the years, is what seems to be perceptually full or visually full is full. So if we say, okay, what's the capacity of that room? Well, we could probably shoehorn 500 people in there, let's say. Well, 
you're not getting 500 people in there week after week after week after week because people can't find a seat or a guest comes in two minutes late and the only seat that's left is the very front center row 10 feet from the minister giving the message that morning or something. So we know functionally that doesn't work, so space. So then back to where we were at the beginning of this conversation, it begs the question, so what do we do? Yeah. We go to the fellowship center, we can see, we could pack it out with 1,000, we could see seven, 800 comfortably in there probably. So that's, that's an easy answer for us. Well, then people say, well, yeah, we really like the aesthetic and the, the room and the, and, you know, the investment, really. Those are all factors, not all equal factors, but we like what happens in the sanctuary and what we can do in there. So we're sensitive to that. So that's why we're doing the seating study. What's the max number that we could accommodate in there? But here's what I want to get to, Charles. We can talk about this for a minute before we wrap up. It does have down-the-road implications for our church strategy. Right. We're not saying we don't want to grow. We're not saying we don't want to see new people come to Christ. We're not saying we don't, we just, let's stop here. We're at a happy number. No, we, we want to always be encouraging and challenging our people to be gospel people. Um, we want to take a long view of the Great Commission. How do we build a healthy church with healthy believers who understand the gospel and are competent and courageous enough to share it with their friends, neighbors, wherever they go? That we want to be a constant for us, not assumed, so we're always pushing towards that. But is our aim simply to get more people here on a Sunday morning at Calvary? So let's just add more services, add more services. Or is there a more biblical, uh, let me say this, is there a healthier, more biblical approach with better long-term results than that? Right. And I think there is. And I think the answer to that is church planting. I thought you were going to say a building program. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, but, we. But that's where I mean. But it, again, that would be the answer in the past, right? Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so if we're just going to do one service, and we need to build. In terms of kingdom economy, and I think stewardship is a biblical principle. Is that the best use of kingdom funds? Yeah. You know? Of course not. We could we could start a new campaign here. We could raise, I don't know. Uh, we could try to raise a couple million bucks. With a couple million bucks, we could probably redo the sanctuary. We could probably knock out the front section of it and take it out to the parking lot and add a few hundred seats. And is that a good use of kingdom resources? And is that a good use of our energies moving forward? I, I don't think at all it is. Again, I, I hear the person saying, well, just add another service. It's simple. What if instead we look around us in the wiregrass and we say, where is God already at work? Where are people already moving? Where's development already happening? Where are healthy Biblically strong churches needed. Where are good churches already but can't reach all that community because of its growth? Where could we be investing um, outside of this? And and ultimately, where are our people even coming from? Right, exactly. Yeah, we've got some folks who, who drive 15, 20, 30 minutes to church. Is, is, is it, would it be better to um, have a healthy work right there where they are? So our, our direction is this. We want to be healthy and strong. We want to be a center where out of our growth, healthy growth, we can train up new leaders, new people, and send people out and, and Lord willing, develop new congregations, congregations with a similar DNA, congregations with, with shared philosophy and, and, and biblical values, but congregations that are autonomous, functioning churches, not satellite campuses, not me on a screen or one of our other pastors on a screen, um, not just franchises of us, but churches that we would help 
help nurture up, help them put things in order, as Paul told Titus, you know, appointing elders and those kind of things, um, into fully functional, healthy, growing congregations. And so if we start thinking long-term in the next five to seven years, would we prefer to see three Sunday morning gatherings at Calvary or a healthy, vibrant Sunday morning gathering at Calvary, even if that means to capacity, and three healthy, functioning new church plants, I would 100 times out of 100 take the latter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's got to be about the kingdom, about outside of us, and, and, and realizing that we do have a we do have a max and and even even just not even just a worship space we have a max for for life group space and in classroom space and parking space and all those things and and it just makes so much more sense to to um export us to other areas and 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 multiply ourselves like that versus uh trying to just just grow this facility and and one last little element I'll add to that and again, I hope this kind of gives our folks a little bit of a behind-the-scenes glance at things we talk about and how we think through things, is in the last several years, as part of our trajectory of trying to be healthier and trying to align ourselves as closely as we can with what the Scripture teaches and requires and defines as a church, and also what the church has historically done, um, part of that was implementation of a plurality of elders, mm-hmm. not just pastor-led or staff-led, um, committee-led or deacon-led, but a healthy plurality of elders, as we've tried to do this in a way that really serves the church best and not just create a board of directors or a board of advisors, that sort of thing, but really a shared pastoral ministry team across the spectrum, lay people and paid staff people, but a healthy plurality of elders. One of our realizations was if we're going to do this right and well and really care for our people, we need more elders. We're going to need more to do this. We're not just trying to get the strongest leaders or the best minds in place in a room to make decisions. We're trying to really care for our people. And, you know, that's a real challenge. And you begin to realize um, there, are, there are some trade-offs. Um, size brings some trade-offs. I'm not saying every large church is unhealthy or struggles or that sort of thing. I'm just saying there are some challenges. If, yeah. you, if you don't have a healthy elder team, an elder base to care for those people, to pastor them, there are some real health trade-offs there, and we never want to we never want to simply become a Sunday morning program or event. We don't want to um, create celebrities or, um, you know, what I'm saying we we want to be a real church where we're really caring for one another, and and that's just natural and normal. And so, I, I think that at some point you say, I, I'm not sure how much larger you would even really want to be, and still be able to do the things we want to do in a healthy sort of way. Right. Yeah. There's some of that as well, organizational wise. Um, quick question on this, and and this is something I've just just to make sure, trying to as people, as I think this is a a different mindset than we've had, obviously, and I've heard it in the congregation. So I would say it's a mindset in the congregation that's a little bit different. And so we we would, we challenge people to really look at the scriptures there and 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 come ask us about it. Let's talk and have resources. Where would you put this on that that idea of? of the triage, like we've talked about in before, about beliefs and, and decisions, you know, things that, that we truly believe. Where does this fall as in a first, secondary, tertiary yeah. issue? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really kind of echo Jonathan Liebman on this one. This is not a first-order issue. Um, you know, for, my, for our church peers out there and church pastor friends and leaders who are doing multiple services and maybe some that we know that are doing multi-site, I'm not saying that this is a gospel issue, that this defines 
salvation, relationship with Christ, um, our ability to work together for the sake of the gospel, to partner together for meaningful ministry, that sort of thing. I would, however, probably put it on a second tier, which for me, a second tier would determine, would we be a church together? Would I go to your church or go to my church? Um, I love my Presbyterian friends and um, Presbyterian pastor in this community, and I love those guys and, and think the world of them. We don't go to the same church for some reasons of ecclesiology and, and a little bit of theology. Um, there, there are some differences there. And so I think it falls on that second tier of deciding, okay, what do we really think the church is and is to be about? And again, we're just kind of skirting the surface of this, but if we think of the church primarily as deriving its authority from the scriptures, obviously Christ is the head and he teaches us through his word how that authority is to be exerted, exercised, and we believe that exercise is through the local congregation's authority. We believe in congregational church life. We're led by elders, um, shepherded by elders, pastored by elders, but we are not um, directed by, in that sense. It's a congregational thing. I think that makes us different than, say, Episcopal or Presbyterian or charismatic multi-site or even Southern Baptist multi-site. So I, I think for us, it's a second tier issue. I don't, I wouldn't put it on the third tier level. Third tier would be like, look guys, this is something we're just indifferent towards. I mean, you can have your opinion, I can have mine and we should be able to easily coexist on this. This shouldn't threaten our fellowship. I think it's, it's, it's maybe lower in that second tier, but it's still in that second tier of deciding what do we really think the church is. And, and again, if you're hearing this, you're thinking, man, you guys sound nuts and, and you're just, you know, you're legalistic. No, we're just trying to, we're trying to find where is the line. And if we think there's a line here that what's healthiest and best over the long term is a, is a healthy congregation of people who see their identity together, who are committed to each other, um, and who will protect the gospel together, promote the gospel together as a people that they feel a kinship to. This is my church. These are my people. We feel like Long-term, that's the best and healthiest means. Um, on a personal level, you know, every any pastor would know this. Most church members would too. People leave churches, not always for good reasons. People get upset. People get offended. People don't like things. They leave churches. I would like to think in a, in a church that's, as health, that's healthy, not as healthy as possible because we're not going to get there uh, until Jesus returns, but it's growing in its health. I would like to think that even if you disagreed with something that church leadership decided— or if you didn't like the personality of the worship leader, or maybe you had a a conflict or something with the pastor who does primary teaching, I would like to think that none of those things would shake you away from your church family because you'd be so connected to those people that you say, these are my people, and that leaving your people would be a genuinely tough decision. And I would like to think that that would even weigh into my decision to take another job in another town um, to move cities because, man, that's going to be hard leaving my people. I'd like to think that would be one of the things that our people would struggle with in a good way. Yeah. Um, man, I'm really, I'm really going to miss my church. Not the show, not the program, not the people up front, um, not the facilities and things, but that body of believers that I am connected to and committed to. And as I move into another city or place, I'm going to do all that I can to find another place like that. Yeah, I think some of this about that one assembly kind of idea, something of, of it's hard for us to maybe describe because I think there's a spiritual nature to that. Don't you? That there's a spiritual nature to that gathering as in we're together, we sing together, we 
we listen to the same message together, we respond together. All that has a, a supernatural, spiritual side that's hard for us to describe what that really is. But I think that's so, it seems that is the vital piece of that, that compelling community that's built um, for us to be a church together. And, and I just agree with Lehman on this, that it's really not as ambiguous and open-ended as we make it. It's, it's really not a, just to do whatever you please. It doesn't really matter how you do church, just do church. I don't think that's true. That's the prevailing mentality I get for sure by far, that these things don't matter. Structures don't matter. Style doesn't matter. Ecclesiology doesn't matter. Do whatever you will. I just don't think that's biblical because if we look at the text over and over again, what do we see? The church gathered, the church making a decision, the church coming together to observe the Lord's Supper, the church determining what discipline is going to look like and how leadership is going to be chosen. And it's the church, it's the church always coming together in its function. And so that's that's what we want. Um, somebody asked me about this the other day, and we're probably way over time, but well, how would that affect something like, say, Christmas Eve? And you're drawing big crowds, you want to do two services on Christmas Eve, for instance. I said, to me, it really wouldn't, because Christmas Eve, that sort of thing, is an activity of the church that doesn't define its normal gathering. So, in other words, what I'm saying is, if, if often for us in the past, Christmas Eve has been an evangelistic opportunity, because yes. people are in town and we're going to give the gospel. That's one of the reasons we decided years back we weren't just going to do Lord's Supper anymore on Christmas Eve. Well... You know, for some folks, that had been a nice tradition, candlelight communion yeah, service. Right. But what do we realize? We're serving communion to a lot of people we don't know. Yeah, We don't know if they're even believers. And that's not the biblical picture of communion, where we say, in Christ, we who are many have become one. We're sharing one body because we're one church with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, um, et cetera. So we begin to shift it to bring your friends, your family members that are in from out of town. We're going to present Jesus and the gospel that night. But that's not our weekly standard, rather regular gathering of the church wherein we're building disciples slowly and steadily week after week after week. So might we have some special evangelistic events? Yeah, absolutely. You know, might we participate, you know, this is just you know, hypothetical stuff, might we participate in a Easter morning collective event with lots of churches at, um, at the stadium, for instance? Yeah, sure, we could do that as an evangelistic outreach opportunity. Absolutely. But our regular gathering of the church is a people of that we've covenanted together with, yeah. and we we want to be a family of believers. All right. Well, I hope I hope it's been helpful to hear some of this from us. And um, like I said, if you if you have questions, if this is something new, please um, come talk to us. Ask us about it. We'll we'll point some resources to you. And um, uh, this is really where we we feel strongly about this. I think I can say that for the staff and and the elders. And so we are. Um, you know, looking, this is kind of, I guess, giving you the big picture of where we're looking at for, for the future of Calvary as we hope to grow and hope to uh, see where God leads us is going to be down this path. So um, I hope I hope it's been helpful. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Shoot us some questions on podcasts at calvarydothan.com, and uh, we'd love to address some topics that you're interested in or some questions that you have. Again, that's kind of wide open. Our primary aim is to address theology and practice that affects our church, but because our church is just part of the wider body of Christ, it probably affects yours too. So if we can address those things that would be beneficial to you or your church too, we'd love to do that. Yep. And remember, we are for God, we're for Dothan, and for the world. <laughs>